Welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Calm and ExpressVPN. I'm Simone DeRocheur, chatbot and senior ex- senior executive producer. What? I'm getting worse. Senior video producer at Polygon. And I'm here today with so Brianna bad. Wu. It was so hey now. Bad. Executive director of Rebellion Pack and Christina Warren senior cloud advocate at microsoft how are you both um i'm alive yeah i mean i was gonna say um i know you were trying to do with that impression and i appreciate it (laughs) it was perfect no um no no, i'm gonna say what was what what who was the lady who said think nice thing like what she said somebody asked her about taylor swift and she was like beautiful gowns Beautiful gowns. Oh, that's, no. that's that's my that's my remark. Beautiful mm. gowns. I interpret. I will choose to interpret this as it was perfect. It was accurate to all of our memories of dial-up internet back in the day. And I will accept no notes. Thank you for your time. I feel like the handshake part of it needs some work. Yeah, I feel like you could have thrown in some phone numbers ahead of time because it's the, oh. the, the dial and the. And then, ring, and then then it's all the the like those noises. Yeah, I, I used to. I did that have part. It memorized. <laughs> no, you. It, it again, beautiful gowns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna look up the dial-up noise after this podcast just to prove I remember. Um, thank you, listener, whoever wrote that in uh, for your efforts in uh, helping me drive away the rest of our listeners <laughs> by putting bad audio in their ears. We have a really exciting show for you tonight. And I, we have some uh, housekeeping to catch up on first, though, which is I think this is the first show that all three of us have been on in a little wow. bit. And wow. Bree, how are you? Um, I've been a lot better. Uh, I legit nearly died last week, y'all. Like, really nearly died. Um, so, uh, you know, just last week, I ended up getting a uh, just a skin infection. I didn't think anything of it. It it, it wasn't that bad. Um, but by Saturday, you know, they tell you if it gets to be more than like uh, two inches in diameter. You need yep, to go see go a doctor. Yep. Uh, this was about six inches in, in diameter. Oh. Uh, so I uh, uh, went to urgent care and I went on antibiotics and you know, then I went and I, I did twit <laughs> uh, and I started getting fever like while I'm in the middle of doing twit and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Um, and basically the antibiotics couldn't catch up with it, uh, by, uh, that Monday, which was my birthday. Um, I had spent like 24 hours straight with 103 degree fever and it was going into 104 degrees, uh, straight, which is life threatening. So, uh, I went to the ER, uh, they checked me in, um, 
Venka myosin is basically the nuclear weapon of antibiotics. It's toxic. Yeah, I kept asking myself, like, why are they asking me 10 million times if I drink? Like, no, I never have alcohol. Like, I've answered that five times. It turns out this stuff is so toxic. That's why they have to test your blood twice a day for it. Oh. That's how powerful it was. So, um, you know, this on top of like starting a major new project at Rebellion and having like new staff members that first day I'm in the ER, uh, it's been a hell of a week. And frankly, Ooh. I'm just happy to be alive. So there it is. Yeah. I'm, I, my situation was not as dire as yours, but um, when I was 20, I had, uh, or 19, I guess, I um, had a cellulitis, uh, uh-huh. was infection that when they caught it early enough, um, yeah. uh, I, I was hospitalized before you were, so mine never hit the fever state, but I was, I was hospitalized for 48 hours with constant intravenous IVs yeah. and then had to continue for another month going back three times a week for hour long IV treatments. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm so sorry you went through this cause I know firsthand, like that stuff is not, it, it's not a joke when, it's terrible. when things, when, when things go this way and, and yeah. for you to get that fever stage. Yeah, I, I and I didn't even I'd never heard of cellulitis, and my my sister was very helpful on the phone telling me how people die of it while I'm like ah. in the ER, or not not in the ER, I'm I'm in the actual hospital, like admitted, and I have IVs connected to me, and I can't move, and I'm like, this is helpful, Kelly, thank you. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it, that's yeah. exactly what this was, uh, Christine, except much later uh, that I didn't catch it in time. So, how long did it take you to bounce back from it? Because I feel like a vampire is sucking my energy every second of the day. <laughs> basically, it was probably like a month, I would say. Um, yeah. But again, like I, I, I caught it before it hit the fever thing. I thought that I'd had um, a like a broken ankle. What happened is I bought new shoes to make myself feel better. I had a bad day in class. <laughs> I bought new shoes to make myself feel better. I got blisters on the back of my heels from them. I put Neosporin and a Band-Aid on and one of the blisters became infected. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was the blister. Um, it felt like I'd rolled my ankle and my ankle was swollen. And I was like, well, this is weird. And 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 it kept getting worse. And then I went to the orthopedist, uh, orthopedic surgeon. They took x-rays. The x-ray people didn't even think that it was the blister. And then she was the one who was like, no, this is blood poisoning. Yeah. And they gave me um, a dose of IV antibiotics. And they said, okay, watch this. And she put a mark on my leg. And she said, if the redness goes above this mark. That's exactly go, what they did go, to Go me. to the hospital. Yep. Yep. And, and I did. And I still didn't think it was that serious. And they admitted me. Like the ER was was like completely full. And they admitted me. So, um, but it was probably a month, I would say. But I, my, if I, if I had a fever, it was low grade, but it didn't reach that point, which is what's so dangerous where you were, where, you know, yeah. you have like this constant thing. Um, but yeah. That is, I did not know that was a thing. I'm I going to be either. living in fear yeah. now. Thank yeah. you. I'm glad you're here <laughs> I'm with glad us. To, I'm glad to be alive too. <laughs> to do a show. So now we're going to make you talk about Facebook. Awesome. To show how much we appreciate you. And <laughs> this love is how you. much we love you. Yes. <laughs> so welcome back. Can it's like it's 2016 through 2020 all over again. Release of death, please. Could you just? Uh, I, I'm ready, Lord. <laughs> yeah, that the, my dial-up noise is what you hear when you die. Kevin <laughs> Roos coming in hot on the New York okay. Times with a great story about Facebook's uh, contentious relationship with its own data reporting tool, 
Crowdtangle. So Crowdtangle is a tool uh, that many people, um, including, say, journalists uh, like the good folks at Polygon use or marketers often use it as well because they can see uh, data from how stories are performing on Facebook. Um, Engagement is the metric that we will be talking about today. And that's just people interacting with, commenting, liking, that kind of of thing with a link on Facebook. Crowdtangle data is also what reporters used last fall uh, to show that conservative news posts were consistently getting the top 10 slots of engagement on Facebook, um, which led to outlets such as The Economist reporting that conservative news ju- is is doing better on Facebook. Conservative news is thriving on Facebook. So now Kevin Roos, uh, who, disclosure, as he mentions in the piece, runs a Twitter account aggregating the top 10 stories that get are getting engagement, or the top 10, rather, accounts that are getting engagement on Facebook every day. He is reporting that Facebook executives have been having a lot of tense conversations around CrowdTangle, um, specifically since the election last November, um, and about how the data is being used. So in conversations over the last few months, They've been arguing about how to correct, quote unquote, correct the perception Mm. that Facebook is a right wing echo chamber and expressing discomfort uh, that CrowdTangle's data, which is available as part of Facebook's ongoing transparency efforts, uh, that CrowdTangle's data is showing a narrative that Facebook doesn't want to be associated with. Uh, as part of this conversation, they've been there have been con- discussions flying around about like whether reach, uh, which is how many people see a given story, would be a better piece of data to make available to people. And no, that would still show the same problems. We don't want to make that available to people, or that maybe they'll just make new narratives that Facebook doesn't like out of the data. A lot of conversations happening around this. Now, the team working on CrowdTangle has been split up, and CrowdTangle's co-founder is on a nebulous leave from Facebook. Uh, And there are fears that the tool might just be killed off entirely, leaving people reliant on Facebook's own data reporting, Um, which, as, as stated in the piece, they don't want to be associated with their own bad reputation that they have caused. So th- this is a fantastic and really interesting story, in my opinion. What do you two think about it? Yeah, I loved it. Um, uh, I, I should disclose, I used to work with Kevin and um, I've, I've used Cloud CrowdTangle, uh, not in, in years, but I, I used to use it at, at Mashable and Gizmodo and I used it before and after it was sold to Facebook. Um, have you used it, Simone? Uh, I have personally not, but a lot of people at my job do. It's a useful tool, and and what uh, it, usually what people use it for is not what Kevin was using it for. Usually, it's it's to get analytics and insights into your own Facebook pages and maybe overarching trends. But it's a really good analytic tool, and it's one of those things that brand pages and really large pages, especially, get a lot of value out of. And that was why they bought the company. Um, but what I think was ingenious about this is. Kevin, it, by the article's admission, he like spent like the weekend kind of hacking around and was able to get a list of kind of like the the you know most shared links um, across the platform to see what some of the most popular pages were. And um, as his reporting showed out, like it, and if you can look back, as he he created a Twitter account which he manually every every day like does like the top ten stories or whatever, um, like the, the sources of them rather. Um, is that there are there is a whole bunch of uh, right wing, um, uh, you know, frankly, kind of like borderline propagandist content, 
and uh, which directly goes in the face of some of the the GOP arguments that that Facebook, you know, like um, restricts um, uh, free free speech or, or or conservative speech. It's like, okay, well, you know, actually, the most shared links and, and some mm-hmm. of the most engagement across your platform are actually from these sources, and it's largely. I can like read a, one of the lists actually as an yeah. example. So this is from June eighth, twenty twenty one. Um, one and two, Ben Shapiro, three, Sean Hannity, four, Dan, is it Bongino? Bongino. Five, Ben Shapiro, six, Go Awesome Animals, which uh, he specifically mentions the outliers in the top 10 engaged stories are generally cute animals and K-pop fan pages, which is great. Seven, Ben Shapiro, eight, The Daily Caller, nine, Dan Bongino, 10, Sean Hannity again. Um, and... There is very little variation. He posts a few examples of his like tweets in this article. There's very little variation. It, there's always some Ben, always some Dan Bongino, um, and then whoever the rest happen to be. So right. it, it is pretty, pretty exemplary. Yeah, and and what I what I love about this story is that like you know he kind of like he used their own tools to kind of get this data, which is clearly not what they had intended it before, but as the story details, like people sent emails and they were trying to debunk, like they had meetings to basically figure out is his data accurate or not? Yes, it was. Uh, but there were then whole conversations about, okay, well, how can we manage this? And maybe, maybe how can we provide our own information publicly that will, that will not tell the story. And, yeah. and the CEO of, of CrowdTangle is like, well, you can do that, but it's actually not going to be any better because those lists that you would like to to give are going to show the same results. Yeah, there is no better data. This is the data. This this is the the truth. Um, it was also interesting. Almost everyone who spoke to him spoke off the record, uh, understandably, because they want to keep their jobs. But one guy who'd been the head of, um, I think, like a policy and strategy or something, um, who quit. He'd been there for eleven years, and he quit. Uh, and and if and if he was there for eleven years, that free IPO. So I'm, and he was a VP. So I'm, I'm sure that he had a lot of money from stock that he was able to cash out on. And I'm sure that if he wants to work again, he will have no problem with it. But I, I say this because he was able, I'm sure to have more than enough money to like never work again if he doesn't have to, which is great because he can then be really honest and, and tell the truth and like talk on the record under his own name about the fact that they mm-hmm. didn't like it because it was an optics issue. He anticipates they are are probably either going to shut the product down or starve out of resources, which will effectively have the same thing. And, you know, like pointedly pointed out that like the um, things that Facebook was saying were not accurate and and that that they, mm-hmm. you know, had like they they treated this, you know, their own data set stuff as, as being like a PR problem because they didn't want people yes. to realize what their actual users, what content their actual users actually interact with is. Put a pin in that. Uh, you're referring to Brian Boland. Uh, for yes. the listeners, he is a Facebook, he a former Facebook vice president in charge of partnerships and strategy. Um, and the quote from him, I think that best uh, illustrates this, is um, him saying, one of the main reasons that I left Facebook is that the most senior leadership in the company does not want to invest in understanding the impact of its core products. And it doesn't want to make the data available for others to do the hard work and hold them accountable. And I think what you said about it being, sorry, Brie, I'll let you go in just a second. Uh, uh, Them viewing this data, showing what is happening on their platform as a PR problem rather than a 
a, a problem within their own algorithm or within their own communities that they need to address is spot on. Bree, what did you think about it? No, I, I I agree with both of y'all. And I, I just want to take a step back and say, I think all of us here on Rocket, you know, we don't have an issue. Like, we're not out to quash right-wing ideas, right? No. Um, I, but I think the thing that really stood out from this story is Facebook desperately scrambling behind the scenes to to treat something that's a serious um, issue, like it's a PR problem, right? And they're not, you know, there are plenty of right-wing people that I find thoughtful and, and interesting. Yeah, you know, I actually enjoy reading things I disagree with. That's how I make sure that the things I believe are true in the best, you know, opinion I can have is checking it against other things. But like Ben Shapiro is consistently one of the most radical and anti-fact and uh, just just hateful voices out there. Exact same thing with that Dan Bongino. And I have to say, both of these people have been busted repeatedly for manipulating Facebook's algorithms in a way to promote themselves. They have not been held to the same standard. I can promise you if Rebellion did this, we would get kicked off Facebook tomorrow. So it's the double standard with that. And it's the fact that, you know, in in the aftermath of a literal insurrection, uh, you know, of which it's it's a question mark what our democracy is going to look like in a decade. Um, you know, the fact that Facebook is still treating this very serious issue of the fact that it basically it's a machine for amplifying hate speech, that they're treating it like a PR problem. And the way they're like back channeling with Kevin, and the article actually says this, that they're dispatching like Facebook vice presidents to go argue with him on Twitter. Yes, that's embarrassing. To a counter narrative. My God, that's embarrassing. And you know, just to be fair here, I do have to say, because I place a hell of a lot of ads at Rebellion, you know, mm-hmm. and the article points this out, that Facebook is does give you much more interesting data for your ad buying dollar than say YouTube or Twitter does. And that's just a fact. And tools like CrowdTable are excellent for that. But there's a wider conversation we're having about, you know, the fact that they could basically turn down the dials at any moment and say, you know what, we're going to show you a little bit more, uh, you know, more, less reactionary stuff on your your feed and they just choose not to do that because it's it's not good Mm -hmm. engagement yeah i think that's a really good and important facet of this conversation is that we're not just talking about your your fiscally conservative uncle or, or whatever his posts we're talking about misinformation and hate speech and intentional twistings of facts um, to pursue what I what I would describe as anti humanitarian um, goals in yeah. this yeah. country, um, yeah, and yeah, and that is what we're talking about. Uh, I think that's really important, and as has been shown on Facebook, but also every other social media platform, Twitter, YouTube, etc., very radical takes no matter what their their origin will always travel further because people will want to either will people will have something to say about them they will strike a nerve with people they will want to engage with them or they'll scare people even right um and 
Facebook limiting the re- potential reach of posts like that would hurt their bottom line because people would be using the platform less. They would be engaging less. There would be less eyeballs on posts. There would be less eyeballs on advertisements, therefore. So it's it's very it, – that's why they're treating it as a PR problem because it's against their own interests to actually address the core of the issue, which is how we relate to and perceive uh, conversations online. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. Um, I would also just note, I mean, you know, it, it seemed uh, Neil Patel sent this tweet out, which which I think is funny. Um, he said, you know, all of this is even funnier when you consider that Facebook bought CrowdTangle and spent tons of effort trying to get media people to use it so that we <laughs> make more stuff that would trend on Facebook. And this is true because I hadn't actually remembered this until just now, but I remember we had CrowdTangle training, I believe, before Facebook bought it, but we certainly had it after, meaning that mm. people from Facebook came to the newsroom and sat down and had like hour plus like trainings with us showing us how to use the tool and how it could be useful for us with the implicit thing being not just this is how you can get more data about, you know, your own stories, but this is also a potential news source for you to write about things that are trending because people will care about that. Mm-hmm. So they were selling this very much as a tool to news organizations and and other, you know, folks who would use it as a way that they wanted to get, you know, places like Mashable writing about like what are the top, you know, trends and whatnot on Facebook. Um, but as soon as it became something that to your point, like highlighted the the actual content that is getting the most shares and the most um, you know, engagement on the platform, which doesn't go along with with that narrative that they're trying to spread. And it shows just how acrimonious and how like, you know, like one way or another, you know, that that content is like a polarizing that content is, then they don't want to have any, any conversation about it. Right. Like as soon Mm -hmm. as it's clear what people are actually doing, then they don't want to talk about it. But up until, you know, the, the 2016 election, they were incredibly happy for people to use these tools. And in fact, I can recall getting emails from, you know, like Facebook people highlighting CrowdTangle data as a pitch to be like, oh, would would you be interested in this story? Because it's trending. Because it's Uh, trending. Yeah. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Hello? Hello? Al Gore here with an inconvenient truth. Okay. Um. (laughs) (laughs) What? I'm sorry. I have no idea what that was, but it was a we love you. Thank you. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, it is very useful. Uh, I, like I said, I personally don't use it, but a lot of the people I work with use it just to see like how their stories are doing. And, oh, yeah. you know, once the story is published, there's always the possibility that you could tweak the headline um, to make it something that more people actually to make people realize like, oh, yeah, I, I actually do want to read this. Um, we did a lot on YouTube as well. But uh, yeah, it's a really, really useful tool. Uh, it's something that I think any publisher has to rely on to a certain extent to be successful on Facebook, which is a, a, a huge traffic driver. Ah, maybe not as much as it used to be, but yeah. So it, it will be really unfortunate if it does end up getting shut down and people have to rely on Facebook provided reports for that kind of thing. That would so- suck. Just just a, a few more things I want to say about this. You know, my my issue with this story is I just I feel like if 
I feel like it's conservatives on Facebook have a very long history of not having to follow the same rules that the rest of us do. Uh, in the middle of Gamergate, I had some very, very pointed conversations with senior people at Facebook, I'm talking vice presidents, about their policies, particularly with transgender people, asking why Facebook was not enforcing their own TOS when it came to uh, the harassment that was going on there. And they swore up and down. They took it really seriously. It was really important. If you look at the actual filth that comes out of Dan Bongino's mouth and Ben Shapiro's mouth on this subject, I don't understand how under any good faith reading that does not violate their own terms of service on hate content. It just flat out does. And somehow the rule is it doesn't count when they do it, or they're just very reluctant to enforce the rules. Diamond and Silk, repeatedly were found to have broken the rules and got thrown off. You know, there was another New York Times story we covered last cycle where uh, executives at Facebook stepped in to reverse those decisions to basically put them off the platform. So my issue here is, look, if Ben Shapiro and Dan Bongino were truly doing content that were, were getting engagement, that's fine. But every single indication is out there from reporting that we have that they're cheating to break the rules with bots, just like the Crasserstein or whatever their names were on Twitter, to basically build up these huge followings. And then the algorithm is programmed to show their content. So what I want, uh, what I want is for Facebook to take, look, if you're saying you're really outraged over January 6th, and you are really upset about this attack on democracy, do something about it. Stop treating this like a PR problem. Treat it like a crisis of what your product is is causing. But also, hold all of us to the same standards. Like when, when I put out ads or content for Facebook, my God, we stick to the rules and we take them very seriously. And I just don't understand why that yardstick isn't the same for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I... I I feel pretty confident the answer is, and it's it's a completely unfair answer, but the answer is that there was negative political pressure after the uh, Gizmodo story in 2016 about the um, trending news team suppressing voices and that they were worried about that narrative spreading. And so they are willing, and because the Republican legislators have been the most vocal, members of Congress, and members of the Senate have been the most vocal, or members of the House, members of the Senate have been the most vocal about that, that their policy teams have chosen to make sure that those popular pages don't um, have to follow the same rules, which is, yeah. uh, I mean, and it's terrible and, it, and it's completely gross. I don't personally feel like CrowdTangle has anything to do with that, but except except the fact that it highlights that these are the pages that get the most attention and yep. that get the most engagement and that Facebook knows this and Facebook is choosing not to do anything about it. And, and to your point, are making decisions about policy in terms of service violations that are likely, you know, um, guided by the fact that they know that these are some of their most engaged and popular pages. So why would they get rid of something that has, you know, that, that juices those numbers so much? We will continue to follow this story as it develops. But for now, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Calm. Business leaders know that happy, healthy employees create successful companies no matter what industry. Calm for business can help your employees be their best selves at work. 
At Calm, they want to help you kickstart your mental well-being initiatives, empowering employees to stress less, rest better, and build resilience should be a year-round priority. With Calm for Business, companies can partner with the number one mental fitness app to provide support and tools for their employees. Uh, so I got a uh, subscription to Calm. They gave me one as part of this so I could test it out and see what they are talking about. And I actually think it's really fun. So it starts off, you get to like ask, you get to say what you're interested in. Like, do I, am I, do I want to be less anxious? Do I want to sleep more? Do I want to be better at gratitude um i said sleep more <laughs> but i also said i was interested in like being uh less stressed out and i think um like being more productive was one of them which i liked cuz that's a big struggle for me um and it suggested me a bunch of things like this whole feed of like videos and little things that i could watch that are about 10 minutes long uh the first one it showed me was a, like okay you said you want to be less stressed let me give you the most non-threatening intro to meditation. Listen, I know you're skeptical. Just 10 minutes, just watch it. So I watched that and it was fun. But what I was really excited about were the sleep, sleep audio tracks and that. So I, I've talked, I may have talked about this before. I don't remember. I listen to podcasts to fall asleep at night. Usually uh, I've never actually tried to listen to a normal like sleep aid before, Um that it's it's very fun so they have a bunch of these like gentle audio suggestions and some are like celebrities reading you stories like freaking matthew mcconaughey and mary berry and killian murphy and harry styles delightful um and then there's a whole genre of sleep audio that's just like you're on a train journey and the gentle voice narrator is describing your magnificent train journey. And if you understand my relationship with Agatha Christie and uh, Europe in general and trains, I love, I love the idea of riding a train through beautiful countryside and just experiencing life. So for me, seeing <laughs> that they were like tense, it's like, now you're riding a train across Norway. Now you're riding a train across Ireland. Go with God, kid. Um, I I was very excited about that. Um, so I, I listened to the first one I listened to was a train journey uh, to in Norway um, from Trondheim, like up through the Northern Circle. That knocked me out. It worked perfectly. Um, and the great thing about I, these, I guess, as opposed to podcasts, because uh, I have when I'm falling asleep with podcasts before, gotten woken up by a poorly mixed ad read. <laughs> I was 10 times longer or 10 times louder rather than the rest of the podcast, which had put me to sleep so effectively. This does not have that problem. It's just soft, sleepy loveliness. So I, I just talked for way too long. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Calm has a library of content specifically designed to help work teams stress less, sleep better, and build mental resilience. This includes lo-fi music playlists, quick breathing breaks, guided meditations, and hundreds of soothing sleep stories. You know about that now. To feel relaxed and more prepared for whatever comes your way. They even have programs tailored for mental health and productivity, like their Mindfulness at Work series. Millions of employees at over 600 companies like Lincoln, Iterable, and Universal Studios use Calm for Business. 
Calm is available globally, and right now, Calm is offering a free well-being ebook for HR and benefit leaders. And one month free after you attend a free demo when you go to calm.com slash rocket. That's right, a free well-being ebook and one month free after attending a free demo when you go to calm.com slash rocket. Get started today at calm.com slash rocket. Go there now. Our thanks to Calm for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right. Guess what? We have a fun story for topic Yay. two. Yay! Microsoft is out there on Twitter promising slash threatening that if the tweet that they posted received 20,000 likes, Clippy would replace the paperclip emoji in Office 365. And lo and behold, what did happen? But that tweet very quickly got more than 20,000 likes. And the question remains, was this a genuine, was this tweet a legally binding promise? Will they follow through or will we be denied Clippy yet again? Following, of course, an incident in 2019 when Clippy became an animated sticker in Microsoft Teams and then cruel agents of branding put a stop to those shenanigans. Is it the right time for Clippy to be reborn? We don't know because Microsoft is still being cagey. And I bet our very own Christina Warren can't say anything about it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I Look, I actually did reach out and I tried to find out. No one has responded to my team's messages, but I did actually reach out. Um, I would, however, like to say that I feel like Chloe Condon, who is my coworker, should take. She was not responsible for any of the tweets, but I feel like she has been doing the most of any person like inside or outside of Microsoft to try to make Clippy a thing again of any other person on the planet. And, uh, so I, uh, shout out to Chloe because maybe we did it, girl. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's coming back. I, I sure hope so. I love I, Chloe. She's amazing. I want to ask you too, do you have the, uh, contentious relationship with Clippy that so many people seem to? No, I, just love I always loved Clippy. I, even in the nineties, I Thank thought he you. was fun yes, and Clippy's whimsical. Great. So and, this was oh go on yeah, finish your no thought. no no that that's just it I I I've always felt he got a bum rap same same like he just wanted to be helpful was it a little was he over eager yes okay was it a little bit frustrating that you type a couple things I see that you're writing a letter would you like this and it's like dude just shut up but he wasn't bad like there were a lot of bad things like someone in my Twitter mentions because I tweeted about this a lot. Um, mentioned that like the real, um, you know, like villain was Bonsai Buddy, which is true. Now, Bonsai Buddy, which was not by Microsoft, it was a ripoff thing. It was this toolbar assistant that was basically spyware or malware that would like be in your browser. But he was this really cute um, purple gorilla. And he would like make noise and kind of jump up and down, but also kind of like, you know, install the virus on your computer. So like, that's the real villain. And sometimes I worry that people got the two confused. Like sometimes I wonder if people in their mind, like conflated the two because yeah, like Brie, like Clippy was, was, was nice. Um, and like he had friends, there was like a dog and there was Merlin, the, the, uh, search wizard. And like, there was, there was a whole like, you know, group of little assistant people. They were all so cute. Like the, the dog was super cute. Like if you didn't, uh, um, play with the dog, he would kind of like look sad and kind of like go off like in the corner of your desktop. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know, like I know people really hated on it. And, and as recently as 2010, somebody in CNET, like, or some or might not have been seen that, but some, um, website like listed as like one of the worst, like 10 worst wow. like, inventions of all time. And I'm like, okay, 
hold your I've, role. I Flippy feel like I was never like that. I've gone too much of my life just accepting that everyone hates Clippy. And I would like to say as a person who was a child in the 90s and the early 2000s, Clippy was pretty awesome because I think it was the first yes. time that I remember almost like a chatbot-esque relationship with something. I remember like using Word and typing in keywords or whatever and like almost trying to not really succeeding because that's not what he was for but like trying to converse with him um and I really enjoyed that and I I never I never disliked him Uh, and I'm vaguely now that I'm looking at pictures remembering Merlin as well Merlin Um, was great but I I think Clippy got a bad rap I agree. We actually put Merlin in um, one of a, I think it was Microsoft Ignite. I think that was the event it was. We put some um, like uh, Easter eggs of things in the background of um, like our digital background, like on the set that we were on. And we had things that we could pick. And one of them was Merlin. Um, There was like a whole list of things that we could do because clearly the braining police weren't looking that closely at some of that stuff. And I made a point to make sure that Merlin was included. Um, I think that I think that it actually had build. I think that we had Clippy in a um, uh, like a, a photo, like that that was like behind mm-hmm. Satya at one point. Like if there was like a frame photo of Clippy. So <laughs> so like slowly but surely, the internal people are finally starting to become more accepting. I, I tweeted this too when I first joined the company, which was four years ago. Like you did not talk about Clippy. Clippy was not to be discussed. Wow. And 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 like we weren't like publicly supposed to embrace it. And and like last week they released some amazing nostalgic Microsoft Teams backgrounds. One of them is Clippy. Um, and it's like an anthropomorphized like 3D Clippy who's, you know, standing on top of some um reams of like notepaper. There's one of Solitaire, and then there's really great, like updated, like high-res version of the um a Windows XP Bliss photo. And <laughs> Uh, there's also one of Microsoft Paint, but like I, I, uh, I sure hope that they bring it and make like it the the clipboard uh, paperclip emoji. They make it clippy in an office because it would be cool. To ha- you clippy. know how like they have uh, this is a terrible analogy, but in the same way that you can customize skin tones in with Apple emoji, it'd be cool yes. if that were just like a toggle up option for it yeah. to like choose the clippy oh, yeah. version. No, that would be a really great version if they could just make it an option. That would be really cool. But yeah, see, I um, want to go the opposite way. I you think, want mandatory you know, just, Clippy? No, I think I think Clippy is too amazing a personality to just relegate him to spreadsheets oh. and and pages. This is what I think. I think you've got Microsoft Game Studios over there. I think it's time to unleash <gasps> Clippy. I want oh downloadable God, yes. Clippy DLC. Yeah. For Halo oh my God. Infinite, I yes. want to fly a Clippy in Microsoft yes. Flight Simulator. Yes. I yes. want Gears of War Six DLC Halo with Clippy. General. Yes, with yeah. General yeah. Clippy. Uh, I want Forza Horizon Clippy Edition, where I'm driving yes. Clippy around. Oh my God! I want all of it. Yes. I think that you are valid and you are correct. Well, yes. I'm, I'm actually not even telling a joke here no, because I think, I think if you on. threw that in there, it would make oh. like the entire Microsoft suite cool. You know? Are you kidding me? People would love it. I mean, um, and it's funny because the company seems to go back and forth on this. Uh, again, I'm probably getting myself in trouble, but whatever. Um, so in 2014, and I remember this because the reason I remember this is because Mashable wouldn't write about it. And then I blogged it myself on Tumblr. And it went super viral. And then Mashable <laughs> had to reblog my Tumblr post, which was hysterical. Oh, but on yes. April, but, but on April Fool's Day, uh, 2014, Microsoft released Clippy in the online version of Word. And 
it was hysterical and it was very funny and it was like a very tongue in cheek, like awareness thing. And I took screenshots and documented the whole thing. And like, I, again, like I pitched this first to Mashable. I will never forget this. I pitched it. I was like, this is gangbusters. And they were all like, eh, we don't really know. And I was like, all right, well, screw you. I have my own Tumblr. I'm doing this. And then it got like a hundred thousand notes or something. And suddenly like one of the interns had to reblog my Tumblr post and credit me, which was hysterical. I was like, you know, we could have had this ourselves, but whatever. Um, and, and then like, you know, people got very upset about talking about Clippy and now they're embracing them again, but I'm with you, Brie. Like, I think that if they made it like a DLC for certain games, like just the retro nostalgia is so big. Vaporwave is so big. Like, I feel like that would do gangbusters. And once again, the data does not lie because I Googled Clippy and the widget says people also ask, why was Clippy removed? Why do so why does so many hate Clippy? Can you get Clippy back? Is Clippy dead? So the <laughs> demand is there. People want Clippy to be reborn, and I think it is time for him to return. All right, that was our very fun second news story. We've got a, another fun third second news story coming at you. But first, <laughs> let me tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. I don't know if you've heard this. (laughs) Stop me if you have. Don't. But Netflix has tens of thousands of shows. But depending on where you are, you only get to see a small selection of what's available, which can be frustrating when you're looking for a movie and you don't see it because it could be available, but you just can't have it because of where you are in the world. And that ain't fair. That's where ExpressVPN comes in. And if you're watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN, it's like you're paying for a gym membership, but only being able to use the treadmill. Not fair. When you use ExpressVPN, you can change your online location and they have over almost, almost 100 different server locations so you can gain access to thousands of new shows on Netflix and other platforms like BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and more. I talked about this before, but apparently, uh, uh, freaking Naruto on Canadian Netflix, not American Netflix, not fair. I think a lot of things uh, get moved around there. The Repair Shop, another fantastic uh, BBC show that I was enjoying on Netflix. The license sort of cycled over. So now only one of the later seasons is on American Netflix. Guess where the rest are? They're out there and you can access them if you have ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has the added benefit of encrypting your data so that you can browse the web securely. So make a smart choice. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash rocket. Don't forget to go to expressvpn.com slash rocket. Expressvpn.com slash rocket to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Very, very. Well, let's continue talking about social media here. This one actually flows pretty well from our first topic about Facebook and user engagement, because I regrettably must inform you that Twitter is killing off its Instagram story clone, Fleets. Fleets, we hardly knew ye. You were in our lives for but eight months. 
and now you will go away. Fleets uh, lived at the top of the Twitter feed and the mobile app, um, and apparently the only person using them was my beloved roommate uh, because Twitter is taking them away. She posts excellent fleets when we're watching 90 Day Fiance together, um, but we'll know more come August 3rd. So fleets, uh, much like Instagram stories, would disappear after 24 hours. And uh, also, they, I think, are the only thing on Twitter natively that would allow you to see like who had viewed uh, your stuff. So you could see who, yeah. if somebody had looked at your fleets, um, and then if they replied to it, uh, the reply would go straight to your DMs. Although uh, my roommate told me this week that apparently they stopped going directly to her DMs and have just could lived as a reply under the fleet, uh, which is different. I can't verify that because I don't have the app on my phone anymore because I use Twitter too much. Ah, so fleet's going away August 3rd. Uh, what will continue to live at the top of the feed are spaces, uh, which are Twitter's live audio rooms, aka clubhouse. Um, However, some of the tools uh, that were part of Fleets will get migrated to the regular uh, Twitter posting button. So much like with Instagram stories, you could put text or uh, GIFs over your photos in Fleets. That tool or that functionality is coming to the regular camera button when you go to tweet a regular normal tweet that does not get deleted after 24 hours unless you personally have set up a tool to do that for you. Uh, Fleets were Twitter's attempt to get people to tweet more since apparently people are are more interested in retweeting than yeah (laughs) and i (laughs) again this is not my personal observation this is my roommate's wonderful observation uh as she so wisely said the last freaking thing i want is to see more if is for more people to tweet i don't want that Uh, it's it feels to me like people are tweeting just about enough Every time I log on, I see five different arguments just happening with no context to them. So, but apparently Twitter wants people to use their app more, whatever. Um, And fleets were not the solution to that because people were not using it. uh, And they are going to be testing out new things to improve engagement and help people, quote unquote, join the conversation, which again, doesn't seem to be a problem from my end, (laughs) but go for it. (laughs) You do you. I mean, in some ways, you know, I, I, this obviously was something Twitter tried. It didn't catch on, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about when uh, Amazon had the Fire Phone, and there was that Jeff Bezos quote where he would rather have a, a an Amazon that took chances and failed, than you know one that didn't try new things. Um, I think this is something that could have worked. Maybe it just they tried it. It didn't. People have not been using it, and I, I think it's smart to to kill it so you don't get you know product bloat. But overall, I'm I'm not mad about anything about this. They tried something. It didn't work out. Let's move on. Yeah, that's the way I think I, I feel about it as well. Uh, and again, I would never had the opportunity to use fleets because I am part of the problem, a person <laughs> who's not tweeting enough, I guess. Um, so I can't really speak to the functionality of the tool. But well, um, yeah, it was I will say it, I only used it like once or twice. Like I used it the day that we all got it. And then I quickly realized why I I couldn't use it regularly. Um, although one of my best friends, Ashley, did. And, and she would frequently. But it was also frustrating with Ashley because she would post the same thing to her Instagram story. As why she didn't you want to use it regularly, late. Christina? Okay, so here was the issue. Um, every single time anybody would interact with one of your posts, even if it was to, to give the hearts the same way you would with Periscope or something, 
that would then become a DM. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and, and if anybody typed in me and they sort of reply, that would then become a DM. And, um, for whatever reason, that's just not as big of a problem for me on Facebook. Uh, not on Facebook, on Instagram. I, I think it's because, um, I don't follow as many people is one thing. And, and I, I, I only have like 6,000 followers on Instagram, although follow me on Instagram, I would like to get more, but it's just, it's one of those things where, uh, I, you know, for whatever reason, the way the Instagram inbox works, it was just easier for me to be able to siphon through that stuff. Whereas with Twitter, all of a sudden my DMS, which are separate things are now cluttered with any sort of response to my fleet. And then it also wasn't always really clear what the message was in response to. Like, at least with Instagram, like you would see that it was attached to like, you know, your story would be in your thread. Whereas like with the the way that fleets worked, at least in the beginning, they might've changed this. I remember it not being really clear and it was like just kind of overload. And I was like, oh, this is too much. I'm not, I'm not messing with this. Um, and I think, you know, people tend to follow different types of people that they follow on Twitter than on Instagram and some other things. And so I also felt like it was a weird discoverability thing. Like I never looked at anybody's fleets. So, you know, for me, it wasn't, uh, I, I know a couple people who used it like your roommate, but I did not. Um, and, uh, but, but I, I totally agree with what Bree said. Like, I like that they tried it. I like that they experimented and I like that they realized, Hey, this wasn't getting the traction we thought it would. So we're not going to continue to put resources into it. We're going to you know, uh, transparently shut it down, but take those learnings into other things. I think that's the exact right thing to do. This is actually a great segue into another story that I read uh, on The Verge. This is from July 1st, uh, so it's a little bit old, but uh, Twitter shared a couple concepts for different things that features that it could add to Twitter. These aren't things that it's working on specifically, but it's ideas that they've had. Um, and one of those uh, is called facets, which would basically let you categorize your tweets as um, like what it's about, like your interests. Yes, like, here are my politics this. tweets. Here are my K-pop tweets. And people would be able to follow basically a specific feed of yours while still just following one account. And I read about that and I was like, oh, yeah, that actually very interesting to me because I think – a lot of people have multiple Twitter accounts now mm-hmm. for their different interests, but I've never been able to maintain like the energy and interest for that. I would just, I like to log into one and just be there. Uh, but that I think is a really interesting idea to me because it could allow, you know, you don't have to split up your audience among multiple accounts, but you don't have, you know, the problem of like, oh, it's time for me to live tweet Riverdale. <laughs> Sorry, right, right. everyone. Yeah, yeah um, like like, pe- like like I don't I don't live tweet it anymore. But when I used to live tweet the Bachelor and the Bachelorette, like people would um, knew I would I would always use the hashtag and I would warn yeah. people at the beginning of the season. I was like, mute this if you don't want to see these tweets. Yeah. Um. But but I would always use the hashtag for that reason. So yeah, you're right. People wouldn't have to do that. There was another concept that they were having, which is literally straight from the year 2000, 2001 and, and live journal. And um, it would be like a uh, friends group. So you could tweet yes. stuff only to a select group of people, which is brilliant. And more people haven't adopted that. And and that was, I think, one of the smartest things that live journal ever had um, was the fact that you could very clearly make it like indicate like what group of people or subset of people you wanted to be able to see your content. And you know, very, in very defense, easily. I think of Facebook, Facebook has this feature and Instagram has close friends, which is sort of this feature uh, with a little less granularity. 
But um, yeah, and the thing is, I don't know, like based on what Twitter said about like, this isn't working, people aren't using it, but also it's not helping people tweet more. <laughs> I don't know. Do, do you feel that these things that we just discussed would help people be more comfortable tweeting more or would there just be would they just be ways for people to tweet less or tweet more thoughtfully? I don't know. I think probably the the bifurcated groups, maybe not more, although you never know. There might be, you know, some people might actually want to, you know, tweet or share things more like and use it more of a, of a you know, kind of um, ongoing feed between a, a group of people, you know, versus a group text or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do feel like having the different personas and letting people follow that or, or bifurcate that, I do feel like that could get people to maybe tweet more or at the very least not have to juggle multiple accounts, right? Like, because I feel like, for some people, especially people who haven't been on the platform for as long as some of us have been on it, like, I just try to warn people. I'm like, look, this is my feed. This is who I am. You're, you get it all. And and I, I occasionally still get people who will take the time to tell me that they've unfollowed because they didn't like the content. And I'm like, okay, Ugh. cool. That's great. I don't care. But a friend of mine recently started getting um, an influx of followers, and she had to kind of, like, you know, make it clear I tweet about a bunch of different things, not just this. So if you're just following me for this, I'm sorry, you're going to have to see my cats and other stuff. And I felt really bad that she had to even do that. And, and the advice I gave her, I was like, look, you don't owe anybody any explanation to anything. You you are your own account and, and you do not belong to a brand or anyone else. You are you. So you don't have to apologize or explain anything. But she was getting, because she dumb and has open DMs. Um, she's not dumb. She just <laughs> hasn't learned that you don't have open DMs. <laughs> she's a sweet um, summer child. Exactly. She, she's, she's sweet and, ha- and doesn't know that the internet is a terrible place. But people were saying, I only want to see these types of tweets from you. And I think having those features would make it easier for maybe people to feel like, okay, I can make this easier for me to be my whole self on my account without yeah. having to just give the mob what they want. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, for me, it's like, I, I worry, I, I feel like I'm between these two worlds, right? Like, because I've got the political stuff, right? And that's, it's dark, it's depressing. And sometimes I just want to tweet about video games, right? Yeah. But I can't do that. I worry, I'm like, am I undermining my credibility as the executive director of this pack by like you know, talking how much I like Final Fantasy VII Remake on PS5? You know, like yeah, that's, yeah. it's a calculus I'm always doing. And I think if I could like just classify that one way or the other, I would absolutely use that feature. I think it would be brilliant. All right. Well, let's move on to our uh, very quick dessert topic for today, uh, because our own Christina <laughs> Warren has. I, 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 Christina, how many people sent you this article? Just out of curiosity. Oh my god, I had so many texts and Twitter things, and it was funny because I saw it in another way before I saw all of my messages, and I was like very proud. Like, oh. I <laughs> yeah, never okay. in my life. Okay. It's okay. my brand. I it literally is my brand. saw this and I was like, I'm going to spend 140 And then I thought, I was like, nope, no, Christina's Christina got this will. one. Well, She's I have got to say, it. And I wonder, a couple of- really quickly, I wonder how many people who are listening to this show have now guessed what we're talking about. But just in case <laughs> you haven't, uh, the uh, Internet Collective MSCHF is releasing toys representing some of our favorite topics on this show. They're toys uh, representing uh, the coolest cooler, a Theranos mini lab, uh, the one laptop per child laptop, 
the Juicero Juicer, a Rocket Classic, and the Jibo Robot, all of which are, are tech products that have died a death, perhaps untimely in the case of one of them, Jibo, who should not have been killed. Um, uh, but all of... Oh, it didn't oh, work! Wait, wasn't Jibo the one that, like... It didn't have like great functionality, but elderly people were talking to it and enjoying it and loving it. Yeah, but it didn't do what it said it was going to do. Like people, the old people loved it, but I mean. I am looking right now at the Ashley Carmen article. They welcomed a robot into their family. Now they're mourning its death. And I'm telling you, Jibo <sighs> should not have been killed. But carry on. Okay. So they're releasing these toys. Everyone in the world who has ever met Christina probably thought. <laughs> Christina is going to like those and purchase them. And lo and behold, what has occurred? Oh, I, I bought them instantly. They haven't shipped yet, but I bought them instantly. I also bought, um, they're all sold out now because Mischief, uh, the the collective who did this, they do like oh, drops thank you. every other week. I didn't week. realize it was a whole word. <laughs> yeah, it's Mischief. They, they do these drops every um, um, like uh, two weeks and they're always like one off, um, one of a kind. Like they're, they're the ones who did the little Nas X, like uh, Demon 666 sneakers that had like the blood. And then the Nike, like, then sued out over, but they were like, okay, we'll do a voluntary recall. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Um, they're, uh, they're pretty great. But um, I, so I got it for myself. And then my, my um, friend and former colleague, Brian Menegas, who wrote, like, this amazing story about Juicero for Gizmodo, like, where he was able to get, like, in, the inside goss about, like, the company. Um, uh, this was after the Bloomberg story came out about how you just had to squeeze the packets <sighs> to get the juice out. And, um, it was like Mad Juice Man or something like that. Anyway, he he was like our Juicero like beat guy. So wow. I had to I had to buy him the Juicero. I, I sent it to him first. I was like, I need your address. He was like, Why? I was like, I'm sending you this. He was like, I regret to inform you that I love it. It's adorable. I was like, Yes, <laughs> it is, and you're getting this. Um, but uh, you know, so many people sent this to me, and I was happy to give them my money. I was a little annoyed because um, they sent them to a number of influencers to unbox and like look at early. And look, I get it. Like, maybe, like, I don't have a, a YouTube or whatever, but I would have done it. I would have done a video for Twitter or whatever because I just feel like I, I've never in my life seen toys that feel like they were created specifically for me. <laughs> <laughs> if you, And if you had more followers on Instagram, you might have gotten yeah. them early. So everyone, God, I know. just think about that. <laughs> Yeah, so follow me on Instagram, um, so so that I can get I can get these things the next time. No, but uh, it's a great idea. Uh, they they look really good. Like they were expensive. It was like one hundred and sixty dollars for five of them or whatever. But the attention to detail looks fantastic. And Brie, yeah, they you look were completely great. right. Like like you did not need to buy this because I was like instantly I was like I'm in. But I like, didn't even have to blink. I mean, I want the Theranos box. I want that. I want that on my desk to like inspire me for evil things. I don't know. I I feel like I missed the train. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how much they'll be going for on eBay. Probably inflated prices. But check in like six months, um, and they'll <laughs> probably be cheaper again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, it was interesting to see which ones sold out the most quickly. I think the Jibo might've sold out the most quickly. Because and he's then, beloved and died before his time. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, and, and then, um, the triple EPC was there for a while. There were a number of people in my mentions who were like, okay, but the, 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 no, not the triple EPC, the OLPC was good, man. I'm like, no, it wasn't like it. They, they didn't, it wasn't a scam. 
but it also didn't do what it claimed it was going to do. Yeah. And, like, you know, it cost a bunch of countries, you know, poor countries, a bunch of money for these, like, laptops that weren't easy to repair and weren't very powerful. Like, oh, it's dear. a nice idea, but it wasn't, it, it was still, there's a whole book about it, actually, that I, that I read last year about um, the failure of the OLPC. Um, there's also a good Verge article that Addie Robertson uh, uh, wrote a few years ago. When there's a but whole the book about your failure, you can't argue that something is good. Unfortunately, those are the rules. I don't I make agree. them. But, but if people are interested, we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's called The Charisma Machine and it's actually a really good book. All right. So we will be, Christina will be receiving these toys at some point in the future. We'll probably talk about them again then. Uh, listeners, Absolutely. did any of you manage to snag the uh, the mischief uh Dead startup toys, let us know. Very fun. So, so before we end the show, yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to a listener that wrote into us. Uh, Carl Harris actually works at change.org. He's a huge fan of the show. And, you know, he appreciates, like all of us here on Rocket, we're very pro union. We believe in union. Uh, and he just fought along with his team. And they actually formed a union for change.org wow. and wanted Hell us yeah. to give him a shout out. So <laughs> that's really cool. We, go, Carl. Are, we think you are a badass and congratulations on that. And thank you so much. We're, we're very proud of you. Yeah. Uh, listeners, if you uh, care to go ahead and look that up and we'll see if there's anything that we can do to support uh, the change.org union. Yeah, um, go comrades. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, now, this episode of Rocket is also brought to you by Automators. Yeah, it's a ho- it's a show on Relay FM. And if you like our show, you might like Automators. There are so many daily tasks that we all do that could be automated for us. And time spent on tasks that could be automated is time that you get back. If you want to make your devices do more for you, you need to listen to Automators. Your hosts, David Sparks and Rosemary Orchard, cover a huge number of programs, apps, and ways that you can automate things in your life so that you have more time for the important stuff, such as Automation Workflow with Merlin Mann and Widget Home Screen Nerdery, which I really, really, really do need to check out because I uh, widgets, I'm so bad at using them. And I want to be better at it because I know that my life could be better. Listen to David and Rosemary bring automation to the people at relay.fm slash automators or search for automators wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, y'all. Hey, now, Brianna. What are you up to this weekend? Is it resting? <laughs> no, I've actually got a lot going on. Ah. Uh, you know, we're working a lot in Ohio in this race. So uh, basically trying to get all of that together and uh, get it off the ground. Can't believe elections are still happening. Now, don't get me uh, wrong. I'm glad they are. That's good for the country. <laughs> yes, but, it is. Oh, gee. <laughs> Christina, what about you? Well, I'm um, going to try to sell some of my Nintendo 64 games. I'm kidding. What? Uh, no, I'm kidding. I was just making fun of like, the fact that somebody paid $1.65 million oh, for God. a sealed copy of Mario 64 as if yeah, that's, that's rare dumb. at all. It's so dumb. dumb. The dumbest, like, honestly. Like, the I Zelda- think it's market manipulation, personally. I, I mean, I, I think it's money laundering of some sort, but yeah. Um, like, Well, look, this is my longstanding belief that all of this stuff is always about money laundering. But... Um, yeah, so I'm. I'm. Um, I don't really have any. I'm actually a friend of mine just uh, had a birthday, and I think I'm going to go to uh, to dinner with them this weekend, and which is fun to be able to be with people again. And uh, but I don't ha- really have anything else. I've been um, at doing this internal workshop at work this week, which has been really informative and fun, and I've learned a lot from it. But 
Um, that's about it. Next week or next weekend, I guess I should say, um, it'll be after we record our show, but I'm going to Colorado um, for a concert. So uh, I'm getting excited about that. But yeah, kind of nothing, nice. to be honest. I want to see you steal the Clippy costume and wear that in a video. I, oh, I yeah. will not I, rest until you do that. No, I mean, I mean the Clippy costume. So this is real. There is an actual like life, like person, like Clippy costume, like a Disney World type costume or whatever of Clippy in the um, uh, at Microsoft. And I believe that it is still in the Channel 9 studios. If not, I know where I could get it. And yeah. Hey, look, if I get 10,000 uh, Instagram followers, <laughs> I will wear the damn costume. I'm 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 dead ass serious. Give me ten thousand Instagram <laughs> followers, and I will wear that costume and do like a very funny video slash story about it. I'm just back at work. I was out last. No, I wasn't out last week. I was here this week. Last week, where yep. was I last week? I was here. I'm still here. <laughs> Good lord. Um, I'm just having a fun weekend with the girls. That's all that's happening. To be honest, it is dead middle of summer here. I'm hot. I feel sluggish and slow and miserable every day. That is my base state of being. So that's where we're at, folks. But guess what is uh, making me happy? The thought of you leaving reviews for Rocket and also asking my co-host where I can find them online. Brianna, where can I find you online? Uh, You can find me on Brianna Wu on Twitter. If you want to support my work at Rebellion Pack, you can do that by going to helptherebellion.com. And Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitter and film underscore girl on the Instagram. Remember, if I hit 10,000 followers, I will wear the Clippy costume and make a video about it. Not even joking. I will track I it down see on this. campus. I yeah, really I'll do. do. Okay, so get me to 10,000 followers and we'll where, do it. Where are your eyes in the costume? Like, is it is it solid? Wow. And then your eyes? It's, it's, like, it's, the... like a, it's, it's like there are armholes. It like fits over you. It's pretty big. I think there's also like some tights or something. I'm not completely sure. Um, I... Uh, I know people have worn it. I've never worn it, but you've got to I, do the Batman thing where you get like, you know, black shoe polish all around your eyes. So they're just <laughs> white with the clippy costume. And then you've got to open them really wide to really get that effect. And you can find me on Twitter at doomquasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. Please review our show. It helps other people find it uh, and it helps us continue to make the show. So we really appreciate everyone who has done that. Thanks so much, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. I mean, I don't want to say terminated because what kind of shoes does Cliffy wear? <laughs> what the costume do you wear? I think you have to wear like black, like, like, I don't know, like black, shiny, like, uh, like, I don't, not, not patent leather shoes. I don't know. Like, like, like loafers. I'm not sure. Cliffy wearing like the thick Spice Girl heels. Okay, oh. I can do that. I'm talking, yeah. I do. I do totally know. Okay, yeah, I could yeah. like wear like platformers. Yeah, sh- totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Terminated. 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 <laughs>